Good morning. Our text this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. So if you would go ahead and find that passage, the text is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And then I am going to ask you to turn um, to 2 Kings chapter 19 um, in the first part of the message for um, a particular example of what we're looking at today. So 2 Kings chapter 19. Today's text is, uh, I believe, I think you would agree, one of the most comforting and encouraging passages in all of God's Word. And if, uh, if you're one of those folks that highlights verses in your Bible study, it's very likely that you have highlighted Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Um, I think, I suspect that uh, when Joseph Scriven wrote What a Friend We Have in Jesus, that he probably had this passage in mind when he wrote these words, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Um, This is what Paul wrote. He said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'm going to read it again. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God has given us an all-encompassing command and a precious, priceless promise in these two verses. Um, For the message today, it's going to be just a very simple two-point outline. I'll have several sub-points, but a a very simple outline. Uh, Number one, the command, and number two, the blessing. So let's look at the command. That's there in verse 6 where, again, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So we've got a coin here, and it's got flip sides. So the first command here, or first part of the command, is do not worry about anything. Do not worry about anything. It's phrased differently in different translations. I actually have memorized this verse in the King James where it says, be careful for nothing. Um, That word careful has undergone some change through the years, but it's the same. The idea is don't worry. This is a command that forbids us from worrying. As we read earlier in the the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, it was read earlier, um, how many times did our Lord Jesus say, do not worry? You don't have to turn there, but uh, in verse 25, do not worry. Verse 28, so why do you worry? Verse 31, therefore, do not worry. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry. So the Apostle Paul is echoing the commands of our Lord Jesus there on the Sermon of the Mount, do not worry. Now, the Greek word that is translated anxious here or careful or worry, it is based on on the Greek word that means to divide. Now, if you think about it, you can see the picture that's being being conveyed to us. When you and I are anxious and when we worry, um, our thoughts are divided. We are distracted with the cares of life, whether it's the uh, ongoing day-to-day cares or 
may be some particular form of trial or affliction, but whatever it is, it tends to divide our attention. It takes our focus on God. It starts to to impact us negatively. And Paul says here, don't be anxious for nothing. And that's all inclusive. Um, don't worry about anything. And uh, what are some of the things that you tend to worry about or that we, in, we as people tend to worry about? I mean, it's, it, it's an endless list, isn't it? There's a thousand and one things that we can worry about. Um, we, we, can, we can worry about finances. We can worry about job security. Uh, we can worry about, about, about loved ones, maybe who are in danger uh, in, in, a, in, a, in the context of their health or, or maybe a, 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 their a spiritual state. Uh, we can worry about our safety and the safety of our loved ones. Um, we worry when we read the news. It seems like every day that the news just keeps getting worse. So we can worry about events around us and in the world. Uh, We can worry about decisions, worry about our health. Um, uh, Again, a thousand and one things, but we are forbidden to worry about any of those kinds of things. Be anxious for nothing. And you know, there there is nothing positive that can be accomplished by worrying. There really isn't. You and I can't do anything positive by worrying. Um, our Lord, if uh, you remember verse 27 of chapter 6 of Matthew there, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Uh, that is a, a more literal rending, rendering out of the New King James. The uh, English Standard Version says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? That's probably the idea there. Um, and the answer is no one. No one. You can't add a single hour to your life or the life of your loved ones by, by worrying. Um, In fact, um, it has been proven scientifically, medically, that worry can actually hurt our health and shorten our lives. Um, If you haven't heard of Dr. Charles Mayo, you've heard of the famous Mayo Clinics, at least. And there's a a quote by Dr. Charles Mayo. Uh, You can find it all over the internet. I first read it in one of John MacArthur's uh, Bible commentaries. But Dr. Mayo said, and I don't even know if he was a believer. He may have claimed to be a Christian. I I do not know. But uh, what he said here is true. Worry affects the circulation the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry, or some some renditions of that say, he said, doubt, which actually would go very well with what we're going to look at today. So I have never known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. So worrying is not going to lengthen your life. It's not going to lengthen the life of your loved ones who you worry about. It may indeed shorten your life. It may shorten your life. So worry is not only unproductive, it is destructive. In fact, the, um, our word worry, it goes back to the Old English word that means to choke or to strangle. Boy, we can see, we can see the, the relationship there, Right? When you and I give in to worry, it's like we're being choked and strangled. It's, it's strangling the life out of us. It's not adding to, to life. It's detracting from life. But as bad as that is, that is not the worst thing about the, about the, the characteristics of worry. You know what the worst thing about worry is? The Bible teaches it's a sin. 
Bible teaches us that worry is actually a, a sin. Well, why is that? Well, I want to quote to you from a book by Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges uh, was an incredible teacher. He is with the Lord now. He's written a lot of great books. I'm going to uh, quote to you from a book he wrote called Respectable Sins. I know that's kind of a strange title, um, but I highly recommend it if you get an opportunity to read the, the book Respectable Sins. And this is what he says. When you and I say to someone, don't be anxious or don't be afraid, we are simply trying to encourage the person or admonish in a helpful way. But when Jesus or Paul or Peter, who are writing, who are writing under divine inspiration, says to us, do not be anxious, it has the force of a moral command. In other words, it is the moral will of God that we not be anxious, or to say it more explicitly, anxiety is sin. Anxiety is sin for two reasons. First, as I've already mentioned, anxiety is a, d- a distrust of God. In the Matthew six twenty-five through 34 passage, Jesus said that if our heavenly Father takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, will he not much more take care of our temporal needs? And Peter told us that the basis of our casting our anxieties on God is that he cares for us. So when I give way to anxiety, I am in effect believing that God does not care for me and that he will not take care of me in the particular situation circumstances that triggers my anxiety of the moment. Suppose someone you love were to say to you, I don't trust you. I don't believe you love me and will care for me. What an affront that would be to you. Yet that is what we are saying to God by our anxiety. He goes on to write, anxiety is a sin, is a sin also because it is a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives. God's providence may be simply defined as God's orchestrating all circumstances and events in his universe for his glory and the good of his people. Some believers have difficulty accepting the fact that God does in fact orchestrate all events and circumstances, and even those of us who do believe it often lose sight of this glorious truth. Instead, we tend to focus on the immediate causes of our anxiety rather than remembering that those immediate causes are under the sovereign control of God." So worrying is, it's a sin because it's demonstrating a lack of faith in God. It's distrust of God. We may not tend to think of it that way, but that's, that's really what it comes down to. It's, it's as if we're saying to God, God, I really don't know if I can trust you. I really don't know if I can have confidence in your, disp- of your disposal of, the, uh, the situ- of, of, of my life. So we are forbidden from worrying. Do not worry about anything. If you're doing an outline, this is number one command, and A was do not worry about anything. Next thing is B, do pray in everything. So do not worry about anything. Do pray in every in everything. Paul says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So he says, with prayer and supplication. Now, prayer is the the general word for prayer in the New Testament. Supplication is often referring to prayer in general, uh, but it is also used to refer to prayer that is offered up in light of a specific need or in a a certain uh, set of, of circumstances. So you sometimes find prayer and supplication coupled together in Scripture. For example, at the end of the Armor of God passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, "...praying always with all prayer and supplication in 
the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So sometimes you find them coupled together, and I think that's at least in part to to, uh, convey to us just all kinds of prayer, all kinds of prayer. Um, We might see uh, prayer uh, referring to just praying regularly. Uh, We ought to be praying every day. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, Paul said, pray without ceasing. Now, that does not mean that literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year, you can be actively praying all the time. Although I do believe it is possible for us to be in an attitude of prayer, but it does mean that we need to have regular, consistent prayer every day, several times a day. Um, we, We need to be in regular prayer, whereas supplication may be referring to those times of a particular special need. Not that we're not always in need, because we are, but times of a particular need. Um, keep your place in, in uh, Philippians 4 and turn to 2 Kings 19. We're going to look at a, an Old uh, Testament saint of God, and he and his people were facing a, a, a very significant time of need, King Hezekiah. Uh, if you remember your Old Testament history, the Assyrians had come in, and this was under God's direction, and had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern, the northern uh, kingdom because of their idolatry. And God sent the Assyrians in, these pagan, these uh, horrific pagans, uh, and they destroyed the, the Israel and, uh, and carried off a lot of the Israelites uh, captive. And then they turned their, their focus on southern Israel or the kingdom of Judah. And uh, they came and they besieged and surrounded Jerusalem, and they were threatening to do to, to Jerusalem and to Judah what they had done to every other nation around there. And so the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, sends a messenger and a message, a written message to Hezekiah, king of Judah, threatening to do to him what he had done to all the other nations. And so the people of Jerusalem, they're tempted to be afraid. But King Hezekiah, who was one of the few godly kings, he turns to the Lord. Now let's pick up there in verse 10, 2 Kings 19, verse 10. So this is the king speaking to his messenger who will then give the message to the the people of Judah and Hezekiah. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of the Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and then look what he did. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it, the letter, before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire." 
For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, that which you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And God goes on to give great deliverance to his people there in Jerusalem. So what did Hezekiah do in his time of need? He let his request be made known unto God. So there are times we need to, we need to offer up our supplications to God. Um, take that bill that you don't know how you're, gonna, how you're possibly going to pay. Spread it before the Lord. Get on your knees. Take it to God. Take that medical report that has that, 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 that horrible diagnosis. Spread it before God. Pray to Him. That obituary, that pink slip, whatever it may be, take it before God. Let your requests be made known unto God, just as Hezekiah did thousands of years ago. He's the same God. He's the same God. He doesn't change. His ears are still open to the cries of his people. It is through our prayers that we express our need. And and, and again, we're talking about all kinds of prayer, regular prayer and time in times of special need. Some people only go to God when they have a problem. That's dishonoring to God. We need to go to God constantly regularly, daily, and special times of prayer during during times of need. Now, let your requests be made known unto God. Is it because God is ignorant of our needs, because he has to be informed? Well, of course not. God is omniscient. He knows everything, and he's known everything uh, from eternity past. It is not that God needs to be informed. It's that we need to express it. God has commanded us to express our needs to him. Another precious promise, Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace or unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God knows, but he tells us and instructs us, you come and tell me, you come and you ask. He has ordained prayer as a means through which we receive from him and most importantly, Commune with him. That's not the point of Paul's uh, passage here, but we need to understand that. We shouldn't look at prayer as just going and asking to have my needs met. God has ordained it for that purpose, but primarily it is to fellowship and commune with the God who loves me. So the command, pray, pray, don't worry, pray, don't worry about anything, but do pray in everything. And I want to I drive this home. We all need to hear it again, is that the command implies faith in the Lord. It is not prayer in a vacuum. It is praying in faith that God hears, that God cares, praying in faith. Again, that doesn't that doesn't that that word faith doesn't appear here, but it's it is from other places in Scripture. We know that's what is behind prayer: the faith that God hears, the faith that God will answer, trusting in His love, His omnipotence, His wisdom, and His sovereignty. 
Now, that's important for a, a, n- a number of different reasons. Um, first of all, going back to what we said earlier, that, uh, that, that a, a lack of faith or worry really shows a lack of faith, which is displeasing to God. Uh, we read in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So without faith it is impossible. Not without faith it's hard to please him. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Because if we're not exercising faith, we're questioning his character. So we must come in faith uh, th- that God hears and, and faith in his, his love and, and his care of us. Um, I'm afraid, and I say this of myself, I think sometimes our prayers are really just expressions of fear and not faith. Uh, you remember the account of the disciples, and Jesus and the disciples had gotten out in a ship on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm came up, and, and Jesus fell asleep, and they came, and, Lord, don't you care that we perish? Well, they were in fear. In fact, he said, oh, you of little faith. Um, we need to be careful that we're, that we're not expressing fear, but we're expressing faith. Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We come to him in faith. Um, there's a saying out there, and you've heard it, and it's pretty much true. Don't worry about it because 99% of the stuff that we worry about never comes true. You ever heard that, right? Don't worry about it because 99% of the stuff that we worry about never comes true. Well, you know that that's probably the case, but that's not to be the motive uh, of our, uh, uh, you know, that, that should not be what characterizes, characterizes you and I as Christians. We're not trusting in the odds. We're trusting in the Lord. Our, our trust needs to be in, in God. Don't worry because there's God. Don't worry because God loves you and he's in control of, of your life. Um, we all should admit that there are times that we struggle having faith in God. Um, I want to go back to something Jerry Bridges wrote to kind of put that in, in context because there is a, there's a difference between just a rebellious distrust of God, an ongoing distrust of God, and the genuine Christian who is struggling at any given time to, to have faith in God. Again, Jerry Bridges, um, it's true that oftentimes the situation at hand looms larger in our minds than the promises of God. When we find it difficult to believe the promises, or we then find it difficult to believe the promises, in those times, I find the words of the father of a, de- of a demon-possessed son encouraging. I believe, help my unbelief, Mark nine twenty four. There is a vast difference between stubborn unbelief, such as was demonstrated by the people of Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, see Mark 6, 5 through 6, and the struggling faith of the son's father. God honors our struggles, and the Holy Spirit will help us. The the important issue is that we seek to honor God through our faith, even though weak and faltering, rather than dishonoring him through rank unbelief. So there is a difference. Um, you, you probably as well, I know I do, identify with that man where he comes and he has a demon-possessed child and he asks Jesus to help. And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. And he says, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So you see, there's the struggle there. Yes, Lord, I do believe I have faith, but, but help my lack of faith. It almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But 
God honors the smallest amount of sincere faith, and he has promised to grow our faith. So if we're struggling, we ask God to help us in our, in our faith. Before we leave this, this, uh, this point number one, the command, I do want to draw your attention to the fact that Paul says that we do this with thanksgiving. Okay, let your request be made known with thanksgiving. I'm not going to say a whole lot about that, but that doesn't mean it's not important. It's vitally important. Uh, you and I are to offer thanks to God. Psalm 116, 17 says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And you know there's so many similar verses throughout Scripture. Uh, we need to offer our thanksgiving to God because it's due to Him. He has done so much for us. He has blessed us in so many ways that we don't even recognize. Uh, Every day he blesses us, and so we need, to, we need to offer up thanksgiving to him. But one of the things that thanksgiving does to us, it, it, it helps us if, if we're intent on thanking God for his blessings, then it's bringing to mind the way that God has blessed us in the past. It's bringing to mind uh, prayers that God has answered in the past, and that, that encourages us. Because we have God's promise that he will hear our prayers. He did not say he will always answer them the specific way we want, but we are trusting that he knows how to answer our prayers better than we do. So uh, as, as we think about the blessings he's given us and answered prayer, it encourages us. So we have primarily the promise of God's word, but also experience to back it up. And that just, that just in, encourages us. I was thinking as we were singing the hymn day by day earlier in the service, there's a line in there that says, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. Well, let's go on to point number two, the blessing. Number one, number one was the command, pray. Number two is the blessing, peace. Look at verse number 7. So when I pray in faith, prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, letting my request be made known unto God, it says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Um, God gives us a, a multitude of promises throughout Scripture to, to answer prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So we have the promise of an answer to our prayers. But here's, here's a blessing that you and I can enjoy that, 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 that comes even in some cases before the answer does. And that is the experience of the peace that passeth all understanding. Now, the Bible talks about the peace that you and I, uh, several forms of peace that you and I enjoy as believers in the Lord Jesus. It's all tied together, of course. Uh, we have the peace that comes from salvation, uh, where uh, uh, we, we were enemies of God but because of our sin and our rebellion against Him. But Jesus is a friend of sinners. 
And he died on the cross for sinners like us. He died in the place of his people and, and bore God's wrath upon their sins. And he was raised from the dead. And, and the Bible says that when we repent of our sins and we place our faith in Christ, that we're forgiven, that the enmity is removed. And now God not only becomes a friend uh, or is a friend, but he becomes our heavenly father. And so we, we have peace with him. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But, but here, it's, uh, it, this is a, a peace that, is, that, that flows from that initial peace we have from salvation. But here, uh, it's the experience of calm and confidence and security that we have by having let our requests be made known unto God, that now we are just resting in calm assurance that God heard, God knows, He's got it taken care of. And so we have this, this peace of freedom from worry and anxiety. Now, uh, there are three characteristics of this peace that Paul talks about. Three. Um, item A, let's consider the source of this peace. He says, the peace of God. And at the end, he says, through Christ Jesus. So the source is God through Christ Jesus. So we, 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 we have this peace that comes from outside of ourselves. Now, it has worked within us, but it comes from outside of ourselves from God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is a peace, this is a blessing that we can enjoy immediately having prayed. Okay, now, now God has said he'll answer, but that answer may not come for a while. Sometimes God purposefully delays his answer to our prayers, but this peace is something that we can, we can experience immediately because we've prayed in faith. So this faith drives away worry. Um, he grants us peace when we pray in faith. Now, everybody worries. Everybody has a density to worry. Unbelievers worry. But they handle their worry a lot, a lot differently. Uh, they, they try to get a sense of peace in the midst of their trials and tribulation that, uh, that is false or temporary. Some people, some people on one end of it look to drugs and alcohol to try to deaden the fear and the worry that eats them up. And they get a temporary relief from it. But it's only temporary, and it's not real relief. When the drunk wakes up in the morning, the pain, the affliction that drove him to drink is still there, though he may have been temporarily deadened to it in the midst of his drunkenness. Some people uh, look to other religions, false gods, Eastern mysticism and meditation and entertainment to try to distract them for what it is that is, that is uh, coming down upon them. Uh, some, people, some people, again, want to trust in the odds or whatever it may be. But if there's any sense of peace that they get from these things, it's not a real peace, and at best, it's a temporary peace. The only, the only true peace... The only true calm assurance that someone can experience that's based in reality is that of the believer who has taken his or her request to God and trusted him that he hears and that he is going to take care of them. Then they have true peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
We have peace from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the believer cast his worries, his troubles, his cares, his fears on the Lord, who in turn will bear them for him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Of course, Satan's going to tempt us, tempt us to take it back. Oh, Lord, here, let, let me take it back again. No, there's a need for ongoing, persistent faith. I'm praying. I brought it before God. He said, cast my cares upon him because he cares for me. I've got to leave him there and trust in my Father's wise bestowment. So that was A, the source of this peace. B, the scope of the peace, which surpasses all understanding. I like the King James, which passeth all understanding. That's how I memorized that. Um, it's not just a little piece. It's not just a little piece. It is surpassing peace. Um, it is certainly beyond the ability of an unsaved person to understand. That's something that is completely foreign to an unsaved person, this peace which passeth all understanding. Um, that They can't understand how can that person in the midst of affliction and persecution and suffering have peace? Well, it's because it's a peace from God, and it's a surpassing peace. Jesus said in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken to you, that in me you, you, might have, you might have peace. In the world you will, have, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So it's a, it's a peace from God that passes all understanding. An unbeliever will never understand it, but even you and I can hardly grasp it. It's so wonderful. Uh, maybe you've had an experience like that where you had some overwhelming affliction, some great trial, and you held to this promise in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and you let that request be made known unto God, and you did it in faith, and you just it, it's hard to explain the calm that came over you after you prayed. Well, you know what the source is. It's God, and it's a peace that is so wonderful. There are just hardly words to describe it. We can't, we can't, uh, we can't even fully understand it, but we thank God for it. C, talking about uh, the characteristics of this peace, security. So we had source, scope, now we have security. This peace, Paul writes, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Greek scholars tell us that, that word is a military term, guard. Uh, it guard. God's peace will guard us from worry and from anxiety and fear. Um, and, and Paul specifies this, our hearts and our minds, our hearts and our minds. Um, I think what Paul probably has in mind here with our hearts, it's, you know, what's inside here, our feelings, our, our emotions, uh, maybe even our physiological processes. Um, uh, most of you know, maybe all of you, when you give in to worry, you know what it does to you in here? You know, your stomach's all in knots and your heart starts to race and you just feel all torn up inside. They're, they're, going back to what Dr. Mayo said, there are physiological impacts from worry. And uh, sometimes, yeah, our hearts are troubled physically because the body reacts to, 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 uh, to our, our thoughts. So, so uh, our hearts can refer to our emotions, our physiological processes. And then he talks about our minds. Uh, that's probably referring to uh, uh, our, the mental and intellectual aspect of us as human beings. So both of those things together. Paul says, if you will pray, and you will pray in faith, 
you will experience this peace that surpasses all understanding. And in turn, that peace will help to guard your hearts and minds. It'll help guard you from worry and fear and, uh, and anxiety. But it also is another layer of protection against other kinds of sins. It will protect us from worry and anxiety and fear, but we need to understand that worry, when we give in to worry, it can lead to the temptation to other kinds of sins. Uh, for example, if, uh, if I'm facing poverty or I have just experienced financial ruin, I might be tempted, if I give in to worry, I might be tempted to steal. I might be tempted to engage in illegal activities like cheating on my taxes or, or something else. So, so we need to understand that if we give in to worry, worry is a sin in and of itself, but left to itself and nursed and not repented of, it can then in turn give rise to other sins. Charles Spurgeon wrote about this. Um, some of you have probably read Morning and Evening, uh, his daily devotional. Uh, most years I go through that. On uh, May 26th, he did Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. And Spurgeon wrote this. He says, and I'm picking up in the middle of it, yet more than this, anxious care or worry often leads to acts of sin. He who cannot calmly leave his affairs in God's hand but will carry his own burden is very likely to be tempted to use wrong means to help himself. This sin leads to a forsaking of God as our counselor and resorting instead to human wisdom. This is going to the broken cistern instead of to the fountain, a sin which was laid against Israel of old. Anxiety makes us doubt God's loving kindness, and thus our love to him grows cold. We feel mistrust and thus grieve the Spirit of God so that our prayers become hindered, our consistent example marred, and our life one of self-seeking. Thus, want or lack of confidence in God leads us to wander far from Him. But if through simple faith in His promise, we cast each burden as it comes upon Him and are careful for nothing or anxious for nothing, because He undertakes to care for us, it will keep us close to Him and strengthen us against much temptation. End of quote. So Spurgeon is trying to drive home that point. If we do not deal with worry as a sin, it can actually spread into other sins and demonstrate itself in other sins. So as we pray in faith, as we pray in faith and experience God's peace, it acts as a fortress for our hearts and minds against worry, fear, anxiety, and a host of other kinds of sin. We need to uh, we need to to trust God, and we need to uh, we need to experience that extra level of protection that comes from doing that. Um, Isaiah said something similar in the Old Testament twenty and Isaiah twenty six three through four. He says, and it's the inspiration for our hymn, "Like a River Glorious." It says, "Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusteth in thee." Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So there is a, there is a, a fortifying of our hearts and minds that goes on when we pray 
and when we trust God. Well, just in closing, I don't want us to miss the the last three words there. I've already mentioned it, but Paul says, through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Um, Our Lord Jesus is the channel of all blessings. Um, The one who, by his death and resurrection, gives us eternal peace with God. He is also the channel of blessing of all forms of peace that come to us. And so this peace is from God, and it comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's... uh, whether you highlight verses in, in, in the Bible or not, commit this, commit this passage to memory. Write it down on a card, memorize it, meditate it. Uh, you will be amazed how many times it will come to mind uh, in a time of need. You say, all right, I'm tempted to worry, I'm tempted to fear. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. To Him be glory forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your love for us, Your grace, Your mercy, Your patience, and Your long-suffering. You are a God of truth and absolute faithfulness, absolutely trustworthy. You deserve our trust. And yet, Lord, we confess to you that even as your people who are by grace saved through faith, that we struggle. And so we cry out with the father of the the demon-possessed child, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Father, may it be our desire to honor you and to please you by faith. We thank you for this precious promise that you've given to us. We thank you that the peace that we have through Christ, the peace that comes from salvation and the peace that we enjoy and experience by praying in faith. We thank you, Lord, and offer up our thanksgiving and praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.